0: are the loans that you take out for CRNA school even worth it?
1: This is a great question. People ask me this all the time. I think the sticker shock of CRNA school is a lot for people, especially if you already have undergraduate student loans like I did. And then you look at some of the more expensive graduate programs, like even my alma mater, they're going to cost you over $200,000. Plus it's really hard to go from being a nurse to not having income for three years This is something that prevents a lot of people from applying to CRNA school. So I'm really excited for us to dive into this episode today. We're going to talk to you about how, yes, CRNA school is in fact worth it. You just have to do the math and prove it to yourself. We're going to get into all the numbers, all the nitty gritty. So guys, this is an episode you're going to want to download, save, grab a pen and pencil for, share with your friends. This is going to be a numbers episode that is going to prove to you that, yes, you can, in
0: fact, afford CRNA school. The first talking point, I think, is to demonstrate that the return on investment is worth it. And people often compare cheap programs versus travel nursing salaries, and then people talk themselves into whatever their opinion is without actually doing the math. So today, (laughs) to kind of get rid of all of the questions and doubts in your mind, we are going to compare travel nursing slash Bay Area nursing salaries to the return on investment in CRNA school is CRNA school worth it to answer that question we have to calculate return on investment so let's talk about what an expensive CRNA program might look like in tuition dollars and really run the numbers and you know me And if you've watched any of my content for a long time, you'll know that I love to run the numbers, especially if you're watching on YouTube. YouTube is going to be a great place to view this episode because we're going to have links in the description for all of the references that we are talking about in the episode. And we are going to have on screen the number breakdown. If you're listening on the podcast platforms, that's okay too, but know that you can go back and reference the YouTube version of this episode as you have questions you want to refer back. So very first thing, let's say that you're a travel nurse or an experienced California Bay Area nurse and you're making 150K, which is more than most nurses make, by the way. The average nurse in the United States makes 75K, and that's still including what the nurses are making in the Bay Area. In reality, nurses working in the southeast slash the south slash the Midwest are making more in the 55 to 63K range, which is a lot of people, that's millions of nurses who are making much less than even the average. But let's say, best case scenario, you're one of the nurses who is working at a union dense area, or you're a travel nurse and you're making 150K. That's the assumption that we are working with within this calculation. You're a travel nurse or you're a nurse working in the Bay Area, you make 150 grand, and you wanna go to a CRNA school that's gonna cost you about $200,000. That is an expensive program, but we're gonna run this calculation. Loss of income for three years is $450,000. All CRNA schools are now uh, three-year programs. This also doesn't incorporate that most CRNA schools also allow you to work the first six months. We're just going to say it's a wash for those three years, and we're going to say that you're not working at all during CRNA school and that you are losing out on $450,000. This is on the high end. This would be a high-earning registered nurse investing in CRNA school, $450,000 that they are no longer taking home because they are in school. So we're also gonna talk about the cost of the loans with interest, right? So the cost of the loans for $200,000 for a standard 10 year repayment plan would be $2,301.61 a month times 10 years. And that would be at the standard current interest rate of 6.8% interest, which would be a total repayment of $276,000 with uh, 276, $192.79. So you'll see that you did accumulate about $75,000 of interest on a 10 year standard repayment plan. The total cost for you to go to CRNA school of your loans, plus your interest, plus the opportunity cost would be $726,000. And that is about three quarters of a million dollars. Kind of worst case scenario, right? Worst case scenario, is that you would be losing out on three years of working and you went to an expensive CRNA school. That would, let's say, high assumption that you are losing out on $726,000. But people don't run the opposite calculation, which is what it will cost you to not go to CRNA school, right? (laughs) So let's say that you complete CRNA school at 35 and you retire at 65. That means you had 30 years of working as a CRNA making between $200,000 and $300,000 a year at a staff W-2 job, um, we have another video which will be linked in the description if you are watching on YouTube, and that video compares travel nursing money to CRNA W-2 money to locum's anesthesia money. You can make more than $300,000 as a CRNA if you're working locums, but let's say you're working at a staff job, you're making between $200,000 and $300,000 a year. If we average that, say that you're making on average 250 a year for 30 years, that means that you make $7.5 million over 30 years of working as a CRNA. Now the question is the comparison of how much would you make if you are working as a high-income nurse in the Bay Area or as a travel nurse for 30 years if you can work bedside for 30 years. Most of us can't, honestly. Most that's, of us can't. That's something I think people don't really take into consideration as well is like the toll of bedside nursing on the body that could be a whole episode in and of itself. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and I added into this math actually times 33 years, right? You get the three years back because you never went to grad school, let's say. So 150K a year times 33 years. What does that number
0: look like? 4.95 million. So it cost you 2.55 million dollars at minimum to, to, not, become a to not become a CRNA. I did the same calculation on TikTok actually like three days ago. And I calculated versus the average nursing income of 75K. And it ended up costing somebody $5 million to not become a CRNA. So we kind of did the high end here to really just erase all doubts from your mind. Right. Like the best paid nurse versus like the lowest paid CRNA. At the most expensive CRNA school. Yeah. (laughs)
1: And going back like in your 30s. like That doesn't even count people who get into CRNA school in their mid-20s and have an even longer career. Also, being a CRNA, I know so many nurse anesthetists who are still working part time just for fun in their 70s, like just to give their grandkids money or to go on. Like they're
0: paying their college grandkids tuition because they can and because it's not hard on their back,
1: you know? Well, it can be you haven't worn lead yet and crawled under the drapes in the operating room. That's true. It's actually quite burdensome, but not quite the same as taking care of a complete patient. That's true. I have actually injured myself in the OR more than once. But that being said, it is not nearly as physically demanding overall on the whole as bedside nursing. And I know many CRNAs who are still working into their seventies, some of them even full-time. So this is a career that's
0: going to give you longevity and has a very high return on investment. So- you can also do so many different avenues, right? So like you can teach if you want to teach CRNAs, like you can do the academia route. You can do outpatient like plastics, you know, you can do, there's just like a lot of flexibility. And I think that avenue doesn't get talked about quite as much when you're considering like the kind of pros and cons of going back to school. I think the biggest issue is that
1: most nurses picture being a CRNA is like ICU nursing on steroids yeah. and it's just <laughs> not at all. So let's Which dive is into why you the... should shadow which is why you have to shadow um, (laughs) and you should shadow multiple times. So let's dive into opportunity costs. I really want to start to do that number breakdown here. Um, So one thing that drives me particularly insane is that so many nurses get obsessed with the idea of saving up enough money so that they don't have to take out loans Mm -hmm. or as few loans as possible. They want to pay for as much of school out of pocket as possible because they're so worried about the interest on student loans. And student loans are burdensome, right? But what they're missing out on is running the math on something called opportunity cost.
0: So we're going to dive into that calculation right now. At the end of this episode, we want for you to be freed from the Dave Ramsey mindset. It is okay to invest in yourself and it is okay to invest in your education and it is okay to take out graduate school loans to go back to CRNA school. And we're going to run that math so that you can see why.
1: We're canceling Dave Ramsey today and we're channeling Susie Orman. There is such a thing as good debt and this is one of them. So investing in yourself, we're running the numbers. Let's dive into it. So when we did the return on investment calculation and we looked at a $200,000 student loan total, times a 10 year standard repayment plan. We calculated that you would have $76,192.79 of interest over 10 years that you're paying. So if you saved up a ton of money to go to CRNA school and somehow pay this out of pocket, you would save $76,000, right? But what you're losing out on is the salary you could have been making as a CRNA and all those years that you were delaying school. Mm -hmm. So let's do that math. Let's say you work three extra years to save up that money. $200,000 as a new grad CRNA, that's like a pretty common W-2 starting salary as a nurse anesthetist right now in most of the US, times three years when... Let's say, again, we'll run the math of what you were making as a bedside nurse. Let's say you made $150,000 as a nurse. Let's say you were a travel nurse or a Bay Area nurse. We're going to do that math. The $600,000 that you would have made in those three years working as a CRNA minus the $450,000 that you made as a Bay Area nurse equals $150,000 worth of income lost. Now you saved $76,000, right, in interest. So 150k minus $76,000, the exact math on that comes out to $73,801.21 lost. So by delaying going back to school for 3 years as a travel nurse, as a Bay Area nurse to save up that money and not pay the $76,000 in interest you still lost Almost $74,000, and that's in the best case scenario, again, of an extremely well-paid nurse going to an extremely expensive CRNA program and getting paid on the lower end of a CRNA W-2 salary. So for most bedside nurses, let's say you are making the national average of $70,000 a year, you've actually lost more like $280,000, and that's not including if you get a higher paid CRNA contract or you do overtime per diem or locums work. And make even more as a CRNA. So you're losing at minimum probably close to $300,000 by
0: delaying going back to school. I want for you all to listen to this talking point again, run it back until you really understand it, because I think this is something that is not, it's definitely not taught in nursing school and it's not taught generally in the public about the investment and the time that you are losing by trying to delay and offset grad schools because you're afraid of taking out loans. This is we ran this number, these numbers as generously as possible. And like Chrissy said, you're probably losing more like three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars in lost earnings as a CRNA by delaying school because you want to pay out of pocket because your parents listened to Dave Ramsey growing up. So just like <laughs> actually do the math and then make the make the best choice for you. This also doesn't even talk about loan forgiveness options, which we're going to get to later in the episode, right? Because a lot of CRNAs actually qualify to have a fair amount of their student loans forgiven.
1: So we did the
0: math and we know based on return on investment
1: and opportunity costs that, yes, it is in fact worth it. So how do student loans actually work? This is a very mysterious and daunting process for a lot of people. Um, A lot of nurses that I talked to actually had their parents pay for their undergrad, which is such a privilege. That definitely was not the case for me. Or me. (laughs) (laughs) Or even the ones who did take out student loans, their parents when they were 18, like navigated the FAFSA process. Or maybe it was a lot of years ago. So um, if you're unfamiliar with that process, we're going to dive into it now. Anna, I'm going to let you take this one away because you've done it more Recently than me,
0: also represent for all of us who have been doing FAFSA since we were 18 years old. Woohoo! Me in the house. <laughs> You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> Hang in there, girl. So, uh, all right. The very first thing to be aware of is that while you are in graduate school, all of your undergraduate loans are deferred. They're in deferment. Depending on what type of loans you took out for undergrad, they are typically still accumulating interest. So that is something to just be aware of, but you are not actively making payments on your student loans while you were in school. If you were a, um, I believe it's Perkins loan recipient, like I was, because I was very broke uh, (laughs) when I was in college, you still qualify for um, deferment, but then also forgiveness, which that's a whole separate topic. But anyway, you're not paying on your undergraduate loans while you're in grad school. The school that you're attending is going to submit an estimate to the federal government about how much it costs for you to go to grad school. So they are submitting the cost of your tuition. They are estimating the cost of room and board. They are estimating the cost of food. They are estimating health insurance. You are required to have health insurance as an RRNA during grad school. You're working in healthcare. It's a requirement. This is going to be pretty different school to school and state to state. The amount that they estimate of the cost of living in your area And one thing I will say, Chrissy did some data gathering about this. Do you want to talk about some of the variations you saw?
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting because the school starts out by estimating the cost of living expense and submits that to the federal government, right? And that's the amount that you're going to receive in student loans. And we'll talk more specifics on that in a second. When I did a poll on Instagram and I asked people to let me know how much they're getting Mm -hmm. in their – cost of living estimate through their school. And the numbers really varied widely. Um, A lot of schools still were giving out cost of living budgets that are similar to what I had back when I was in CRNA school in 2015. Um, I think I got about $2,500 a month in student loan disbursements for cost of living back then. It's now 2023 and inflation is through the roof and rent is double, right? So we would imagine that students should be getting more to live off of. Um, I would say about half of the people who responded to me showed very similar budgets to what I had back in 2015. But there was also several students whose schools really must have renegotiated the amount that they estimated for cost of living. And several students were getting closer to $4,000 a month in cost of living stipends. And I don't want to say stipend as though it's just like cash that they're giving to you. When I say cost of living stipend, I mean loan disbursement money so the school is giving an updated calculation to the government of hey it's going to cost a student four grand a month to live in Philadelphia, New York City, wherever. And actually the schools that had that much were not the New York City or Philadelphia schools. Which is ironic. Which is ironic. But when you go to a school's website, this information is actually available for you when you navigate to the tuitions and fees page. They'll actually show you the breakdown. And then you can actually ahead of time before even applying to that school, estimate how much you'll get for that cost of living amount. When you look at when they say um, tuition, fees, room and board estimate, that's going to be the number that you're going to get monthly from the federal government. So you can actually find out that number before you even apply to the school. So on, if you're watching on YouTube, we're going to show you a screenshot of a current estimated cost of attendance from one CRNA school, which will remain anonymous. Um, and this student is getting about $2,500 a month in room and board coverage. And then
0: to just hop back to Uh, classify, and then talk about like what the loans are and what the breakdown is. And then we'll talk about cost of living a little bit more. It is so interesting, the variability, but the process that you do, it's the same as undergrad. You apply for FAFSA. FAFSA will then give you an estimate of what type of loans you qualify for. So the very first loans that you were issued for graduate school are your direct unsubsidized loans. The maximum cap that you can get for that is $20,000, $500. $20,500. $20,500 a year. Per year. Per year. So if you were going to grad school for three years, you get, you know, like $61,000 in direct unsubsidized. Whatever is not covered by the direct unsubsidized, you get covered in a direct plus loan. Of note, they do run your credit for this. So this is something to be aware of if you are a new grad nurse and then something happened with your credit as a 18 year old. Work on increasing your credit score like before you apply to grad school. I don't know of anybody who has been denied these loans. I think it only needs to be a good or an average credit score. You don't need like an 800, like 500, 600s even. You should be able to get your grad school loans covered, but just be aware that they do run your credit for the direct plus loan. So we will also have in the link in the description links to like federal aid or studentaid.gov to read about the direct unsubsidized and the direct plus. So for me, I believe my average cost of attendance a year is $73,000. 20 grand of that are the direct unsubsidized. And then the other 53 are covered by the direct plus. So your school will tell the government exactly how much they think it's going to cost for you to go there. And then of note, my living expenses loans are dispersed from that direct plus loan. Interestingly, I get less in student loans than you do. You did back in 2016. Yeah. So I get uh, $24,000 a year for living expenses. Wow, that's really low. It's very low. Um, We're going to talk about kind of cost savings and cost mitigations during CRNA school for that. Of note, um, if you are working as a travel nurse or as a Bay Area nurse and you can do any savings for CRNA school, I would highly recommend that it be utilized not for your student loans portion, but for your living expenses portion. Also like big kind of word of caution, most (laughs) SRNAs or RNAs that I know end up graduating and then like opening up credit cards to cover some cost of living stuff. Take out a private loan instead of doing that um, you're going to get interest deferred and you're going to, a lot of times you can get like a, a year deferred on your APR. Really? Yeah. Like, interest deferred? Inter, just For a look, personal loan, not a credit card? For a personal loan too. like just Really? Look, I, I At the very least, it's going to be a better APR than opening up a credit card and then just putting thousands of dollars of living expenses on there. It'll be a hundred times better. Like, yeah. you think about credit cards, it's usually like... A variable interest rate of
1: anywhere from 17 to 25%. And then that interest capitalizes. For those of you who don't understand credit card debt, every single month, the interest is charged on what's on the total of the credit card. The next month you get a new total with that new interest amount, and then you're getting charged on that greater sum again. So it's exponential growth, your debt on credit cards. And this is true for student loan debt as well. But at least on a personal loan, you can usually, especially if it's done through a supplemental private loan company that's geared towards students, usually the rates are like under 10%, anywhere from 5 to 7% is like a pretty standard rate for a private loan that's designed to supplement your cost of living as a student. And we also have links here to different um, companies and comparison tools to help you find a good rate if you
0: are in that position. So I'd just say be aware that you are going to take out a loan for between $25,000 and like $40,000 a year in living expenses. I would also like to reemphasize
1: what Anna already said. So many people try to save up money and again pay tuition or books and fees out of pocket or even pay off old undergraduate student loan debt. That was a mistake I made when I was a new grad nurse. I sunk all of my money into paying off my student loans, and I did not have a large savings going into grad school. So I used up every penny of my cost of living stipend, and I lived with roommates, and I lived poor. <laughs> I mean, I had an old beater car from 19, my 1997 Toyota Camry. Ooh, wow, was a beater. I mean, it was like... I drove that thing into the ground
0: and it is what it is. And again, with the investment and return on investment of grad school, it was worth it. It's worth
1: it. But I wish that I had, instead of paying off my undergrad loans, which I didn't even pay off all of them, right? I paid off like some little tiny baby loans. I wish instead I had just had a nice pool of cash to sit on to help carry me through just emergency money, fun money, And also from the time that you graduate until the time you start your first job, I didn't have any income to cover me that summer, and I did end up having to open up a credit card to cover my expenses for May through August from when I got my first paycheck. And if you're credentialing in a state where you need an APRN and DEA license... It's going to take you up to six months until you get your first paycheck from the time you graduate, depending on where you choose to work. So keep all that in mind. Do you want to have a nice little hoard of cash to
0: sit on? A lot of RNAs don't realize or they don't even think about their last student loan disbursement being the semester before they graduate and then having six, three to six months of credentialing. So that is the one thing we would say have a little bit of savings buffer for. And again, now that we are all doctorate programs, most programs now allow you to work for the first six months. I'm just completely agreeing and reiterating what Chrissy said. Maybe be a travel nurse for those six months and then stack that cash for your credentialing in last year's CRNA school or for like emergency fund, car situations, relocation, transportation. Use any savings that you have for cost of living expenses during CRNA school. But I feel like now that you completed CRNA school, I'm in year two, what would you say are some ways that people who are looking at going to CRNA school can look at keeping costs down like while they're in the program? They know that the investment is worth it. They know that anesthesia is the right path for them. They're ready to just like jump into it and take the plunge and go to CRNA school. What are some ways they can like mitigate costs while they're in school?
1: So I know two people who did this, um, and it worked out really well for both of them. One of them was a classmate of mine, and one was a student of mine. And both of them were actually RAs at the college for undergrad students. That's huge. So if, you know, most CRNA programs, I mean, they're all associated with the university. Um, some have more direct ties than others. But I know two people who did this at Penn, they um, worked as RAs for the undergraduate freshmen. And they had their entire room and board covered. So they had a free private room to live in, in a dorm. And they also had a meal plan that was given by the school. So they were able to get most of their meals covered and have free room and board. So they saved a lot of money every year. Now you have to take on some extra responsibilities. And sometimes it got a little stressful around exam times. If they had things they had to do with the freshmen or they had like clinical the next day, it definitely got hairy here and there. But overall, it was a relatively
0: manageable job to maintain while they were in CRNA school. That's. I wish that was an option at my program. <laughs> I would totally do that. Um, that's not a program. That's not an option everywhere. But if it is, definitely look into it. There's also a couple of other programs that will mitigate your cost just by nature of how much the school costs. Right. So these numbers that we ran at the beginning of the episode were really high end estimates of how much it would cost to attend. There are cheaper CRNA schools out there. So Chrissy, you were able to compile kind of a list. Would, any kind of highlights from those programs you are looking at?
1: Yeah. So there's two programs that are actually like military-based CRNA school programs. And of course, at the end, you're going to owe military time. Um, but they're both Army programs and we'll show them up on the screen here. One of them is the U.S. Army Graduate Program in Nurse Anesthesia. That is in Texas. The other one is out of Maryland. It's called the Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences Military Nurse Anesthesia Program. So that one's out of Maryland. So those are two completely free programs. Of course, you have to get in. Um, You can also join the Army Reserves. I know a few people who did this. Um, You can do it during school, and they will actually give you a cost of living stipend every month. It's $2,100 a month, plus up to $50,000 in tuition reimbursement. You can also join various branches of the military after school, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but, um, and then there's also a lot of cheaper programs. So if you are Spanish speaking, if you're fluent in Spanish, you can go to one of the Puerto Rico programs. I believe there's three programs there, although I heard that one of them might be closing, but so at least two to three programs in Puerto Rico where the tuition is less than $30,000 a year. Wow. Wow is right. And then there's also several schools that have less than $50,000 in tuition per year. Sometimes you have to be an in-state resident. So if you're not already a resident of these states, it might require you to do some planning ahead, move there, establish a residency, maybe in the time that you're saving up for school. Um, and on the screen, we're going to show a list of schools with thirty dollars to $40,000 tuition. So these are some U.S. land-based schools. One of them is, this one's really interesting, even for out-of-state tuition, this program in Wisconsin, Franciscan Skimp. Healthcare School of Anesthesia. Um, Another program that is really cheap for out-of-state tuition is the one based out of Arkansas State University. So again, we're going to link below in the description a whole list of CRNA programs by cost. I wouldn't make your decision based on cost alone, um, but if you are already in that area, this is definitely something to look at. There's also really cheap in-state tuition in Florida, for example, at some of the programs. But this is something that is definitely worth looking into if you're just assuming you can't afford CRNA school. There's definitely programs that can cost you under $100,000 for your total cost of attendance.
0: University of Mississippi in Hattiesburg, or maybe it's Mississippi State. Oh, it's the one in Hattiesburg when I was looking and I briefly lived in Mississippi. I know that one was less than $40,000 for the entire program. So there, just check out the list, especially if you're watching on YouTube, that's going to be linked in the description below. Another way that you can mitigate costs would be scholarships, right, for the tuition itself. Uh, We did have a little bit of a harder time rounding up, like, a comprehensive list of scholarships because a lot of it is school-specific. So you're really going to need to look at the school-specific scholarships of the programs that are your target programs, which really circles back to one of our episodes from a long time ago. Actually, no, this was a lecture in the Confident Care Academy membership as we were coaching people how to get into CRNA school. Episode one of that four-part series was on choosing your CRNA schools, right? The very first step of getting in is choosing your programs. And then from there, all of the next steps will become apparent, right? Like, so you can't look at scholarships until you have a list of programs. You can't look at prerequisites until you have a list of programs. All that being said, if you're in the Confident Care Academy membership, go check out that episode for sure. But in relation to scholarships, there are in-house scholarships. And then we also have a list that's going to be listed in the description for um, other scholarships that are external. It's collegescholarships.org. And that one is going to be listed in the YouTube description as well. So
1: we have a list in our description below at collegescholarships.org, which by the way, this is a great resource for anyone looking at any college scholarships, but this rounds up the nurse anesthesia programs that do have in-house scholarships for their own students as well as a few external scholarships through different organizations Um, but it does show the programs which some of which are more expensive that do offer scholarships to some students so and they also include links to those programs if you want to check out more Um, i think northeastern was actually one of the programs that had a scholarship listed on there and that's also one of the more expensive schools so definitely check out that link in our description
0: The last point today is talking about repayment programs. This is going to be a short kind of overview because really this could be a whole episode in and of itself. And honestly, we might have to do that at a later date because this is something that people have a lot of questions about. And it's not super clear when you're doing research online about how that ties into anesthesia. But there are a couple of different loan repayment programs and these especially if you end up qualifying for a loan repayment program it swings the pendulum so far in the favor of going back to grad school right especially if you can get any of your tuition forgiven it becomes really a why not go to grad school type of question right so the first one that we're going to talk about a little bit is the nurse corps loan repayment program where you can get up to 85 percent of your debt paid for we're going to have a link in the description i've looked at this this is the one My current understanding, right, Chrissy, is that this is the high needs areas or what clarification do you have about that? So in order to qualify for this
1: repayment program, you have to be a full-time W-2 employee. So you're not doing locums, you're not doing per diem, you are a full-time employee for them and you are working for a critical access hospital or a disproportionate share hospital, meaning this hospital is taking a very large portion of Medicare, Medicaid, Medicaid, patients. So this is typically either somewhere very rural, somewhere on a reservation or, um, somewhere in like a very urban area that is very underserved and needs to attract providers, providers. Thank you. So
0: the link in the description, I encourage y'all to play around with a map. This is something that I did as a new grad nurse was looking at, I, I was like, you know, I don't particularly want to have to work in a rural area for like five, 10 years to qualify for this program. I was surprised to see that a lot of the big academic medical centers qualify for this, right? Especially, so I was at Johns Hopkins at the time, right? That was on the list at the time. I don't know today if that's true, but in 2019 it was because it does serve a disproportionate share of underserved patients. And if you're working in one of these very large metro areas with really sick underserved populations, you might be surprised to see which hospitals just are on the list. So I encourage you to play around with the map. It's an interactive tool. And then you can see if any of the places and the facilities are, that are on the list are some of your target hospitals for when you graduate from CRNA school. And that, again, is the Nurse Core Loan Repayment Program.
1: I would also encourage you guys to read the details of how this goes. So mm-hmm. the way that the money breakdown works out is every year they give out money to a certain percentage of nurse practitioners, of bedside nurses, of nurse educators. And there is money for nurse anesthetists as well. Um, it also is going to be an allocation based on your debt-to-income ratio. Mm-hmm. So if you have a ton of student loan debt, so you went to an expensive program, like where I went, UPenn, and then you're getting paid like the lower end of what CRNes make, and you're in a disproportionate share hospital. I know several CRNAs who got this um, loan program who worked at Einstein in Philly. Oh. Um, so it's in North Philadelphia. And you might not get... of your loans forgiven, but you might get $60,000 of money, for example. So it's really, yeah, it's, it's really interesting how the program works and it's way too niche to get into in this episode today. But again, it's linked below, read the details. Um, but know that if you, let's say plan on living and working in Philadelphia and you have a lot of student loans, you could potentially get some loans forgiven or repaid um, without having to work for 10 years. It's a certain amount of money like per year of service. I believe it's only three years of service to qualify for this money. It's it's like X amount of money per year times three years and it ends up being like up to 85% of your total education debt if you get the max amount. So I do know people who've
0: received this money Mm -hmm. and it is possible. Play around with it and definitely check out So many links are going to be in the description of this YouTube video. Take your time, really sort through it as you're doing your research and doing your planning. Hopefully, you're somebody who is pre-anesthesia school, and you can really take your time with these resources and figure out the right path. The more, I guess, popular or well-known forgiveness program would be Public Service Loan Forgiveness, right? And Chrissy, you're on track with this. You want to talk about your experience a little bit?
1: Yeah, so Public Service Loan Forgiveness has a really bad name because when the program... The program was first announced by President Obama in 2007, I believe. So the first group of people who were eligible to receive public service loan forgiveness, that was 2017. And the problem is that when it first rolled out, it really was not 100% clear of what qualified or I'm actually going to disagree with myself right here. A lot of people claim that it was unclear. I read the instructions and I thought they were very clear. But a lot of people who applied for public service loan forgiveness and were under the assumption that they were eligible to receive it were never actually eligible in the first place at all. They were not working full-time W-2. They were not working for -for not-for-profit organizations. They were working just in their field doing whatever. And then they were shocked when they couldn't get loan forgiveness 10 years later. So most people got rejected from the program in 2017, 2018, 2019, because they were never actually eligible in the first place. This became such a debacle. Um, the Department of Education actually said, you know what, guys, let's let's help you out. We're going to do a program called the Temporary Expansion of Public Service Loan Forgiveness. And they, for two years, had this rollout period where they were encouraging people to reapply and try to get back into the program. And they consolidated consolidated all of your debts into one loan. And as long as you reconsolidated all of your student loan debts into the right type of loan, so it now has to be a direct loan, and you worked 10 years W-2 for a not-for-profit organization, they started granting out that public service loan forgiveness. And I actually know two CRNAs who just received it this year. Wow. One of the CRNAs is actually a new grad CRNA, but she worked as a nurse for a really long time. So they actually rolled in all of her CRNA tuition debt with all of her undergrad debt and granted her all of those years of service as a registered nurse. And she now has a zero balance on her federal student loan debt.
0: So for those who don't know, first of all, that's amazing. But for those who don't know, what are kind of the parameters of public service loan forgiveness? Like, can I be just a crna working wherever and get all my loans forgiven yeah so you have to okay so
1: first and foremost it's only going to be for your federal loan debt right so if you want to uh, ever apply for this program you cannot refinance your loans with a private company so your loans have to stay federal so you have to stick with your direct loans if you have all sorts of different loans all over the place for, through the federal government like from your undergrad etc you want to consolidate them all into one direct loan you have to work full-time W-2 for 10 years, and it's 10 years worth of payments as well for a not-for-profit employer, which, again, that's not the same thing as a critical access hospital. That's not the same thing as a disproportionate share hospital. This is completely different than the rules for nurse core loan program. It just has to be a not-for-profit hospital, which most of our major hospitals are. So you can't work for HCA. You can't work for a private anesthesia group, but you can work for... University of Pennsylvania. You can work for NYU. You can work for Johns Hopkins. These are the types of centers you'll be able to work at. So not every CRNA wants to work 10 years full-time W-2 at a center like this. But if that's something you were planning on doing anyway, this is at least a really good place to start in your career. You also have to be on the right type of loan repayment program. You have to be on an income-based repayment program, right? So it's a direct loan, all consolidated into one income based repayment
0: that's P A Y E or repay R E P A Y E if i understand correctly so with
1: the new um it used to be that okay now it's actually been revised again to be simpler it's all just an income based repayment plan like it's just it's just an IBR they yeah so they used to have income okay. contingent income base pay and then repay now it's just like this is the income based plan
0: So this is something I started on this path, but then I did two years of travel nursing and now I'm in grad school. So I did one round of the paperwork for this program for public service loan forgiveness. I would just recommend, and Chrissy has done this, you know, what, eight years longer than I have, but anytime you have a paperwork day, make it kind of a treat, get yourself a little nice little beverage, sit down And then make sure that you're filling out the paperwork correctly. I think there is a lot of adherence issues with the first round rollout for the public service loan forgiveness, and you do have to do the paperwork yearly. So this is something that you like. just sit down, make an appointment for yourself, make sure that if you're going to be working a W-2 job anyway, you might as well be on the path for loan forgiveness. And if you decide to change your employment status and do locums somewhere along the line, okay, you can do that later, but at least you were investing and just making sure that you were going to take advantage of the program if it actually was going to be good for you. Fit so for you, right? I actually want to add in some things that have changed since you've been doing that.
1: Okay. You actually don't have to submit your paperwork every year. Um, oh. That's actually never actually been the case. Um, it's recommended because you're certifying employment every year and it's just like nice to know that you're on track and like have that list of credits to stay on track. But I know several people who just like submitted their paperwork one time at the end of 10 years and It just said, I was employed this whole time, and here you go. So you you technically don't even have to do it every year. The paperwork process has also been a lot more simplified in recent years under the Biden administration. So now there's actually a public service help tool online Hmm. where you just submit everything electronically, and it's super easy to use. You can also track your payments online and make sure that you're in the program and on track and see how many payments you have left and what your loan forgiveness estimated date is meant to be. So that's this huge. is this is something that did not exist before. So again, people assumed they were in the program. They were on the wrong payment plan. There were six types of payment plans. They're working for the wrong employer. Now you can always go online and make sure that you're doing the right thing. And they've
0: kind of dummy proof the process. It's actually easier than ever before. Well, that's huge. When I did it, I had to get, a uh, signed and sealed, like stamped by the employer physical copy of like a certification of employment. And then I was supposed to like yearly submit proof of employment, like with a qualifying employer. And it was this whole thing. So this yeah, is way better. It You still have to get that employment certification paper from
1: either mm-hmm. HR or your manager. But, um, and I do encourage you to do it every year. That's what I still do. Cause I think it's nice to keep up with the paperwork, um, but you could technically go back and do it anytime. Um, it doesn't have to be every year anymore.
0: Well, especially if you've been employed by the same employer for Yeah. It's like, hey, years. I've been working here for five years, like and then they
1: just say, Yeah, you've been here for five years. Yeah, that's easy. On top of that, I think it's really important for future students and current students to know what does income-based repayment even look like. Mm. Most people don't even realize, like you don't have to do the 10 year standard repayment plan. You know, earlier in this episode, we talked about return on investment and what it would cost to do a 10-year repayment on a 6.8% loan of you know, $200,000. $2,300 a month in student loans payments is a lot of money. Income-based repayment plans mean that you're never going to be paying more than 10% of your discretionary income monthly. So this is a really bad idea if you want to pay off debt quickly, but it's a really good idea if you're in a loan forgiveness program. So for myself personally, um, before my student loans have been waived since COVID, (laughs) since 2020. I haven't made a student loan payment, and yet every single month is still counting towards public service loan forgiveness as we speak. But before then, I was paying about $1,100 a month in student loans when my classmates who reconsolidated and refinanced, which we're going to talk about what that looks like in a minute, they were paying closer to $3,000 a month. So they were very stressed out by their student loan burden. And they have been doing a lot of overtime to make those payments and still live a comfortable life. But I don't work overtime ever. And I'm really satisfied with this route that I've chosen. Again, it's not going to be right for everyone, especially if you want to do locums, if you want to chase that money, like you're going to lose your opportunity to be in this program. So, maybe you do it for your first year or two and then hop out and refinance at a later date. But if you have a high debt to income ratio, I think I've I've run the math a few times for myself. I decided that more than $150,000 of student loan debt, it's typically worth considering this route. Mm. If you have less than 150k of debt, it's typically not. It's typically better to just refinance off. and pay it off but it is an option for you if you're someone like me who had a lot of undergrad loans and then got in somewhere that just happens to be more expensive.
0: So at the end of the day you're what three years away from finishing the program too?
1: Um, because my years of nursing count as well mm-hmm. I didn't realize that my nursing years would count in there too um, which by the way, that program, um, the temporary expansion program is what allows your years of nursing to count. That's actually, you had to get your paperwork in by October 31st of 2022. So that's no longer going to be the case for future borrowers. But uh, because my years of nursing count, I think I only have two years left.
0: And you'll save more than that 150 grand threshold. So all goes well. Because I
1: haven't made any payments through COVID and because my debt to income ratio was so high, I actually have made almost no progress on paying off the principal of my loans. Mm-hmm. My monthly payment really has just covered interest and like a tiny bit of the principal. Mm-hmm. So,
0: I will have over $225,000 of federal loans forgiven at the end of this. So, if it's something that you're going to be working for 10 years anyway, this is definitely worth looking into. I mean, if the government's going to take $200,000 of tuition off of your lay off of your plate, that's absolutely worth the investment of time, right? What, so going back really quickly to chatting about loan consolidation, what do you mean when you're talking? What does that mean? What does loan consolidation mean? So loan consolidation and
1: like refinancing loans, this is something you should not do your first year when you graduate mm-hmm. because... Typically, you want there to be um, not only like a really good credit score, but you want to have at least a year's worth of a high income for banks to look at. But there are a lot of student loan companies and banks that are excited to buy your student loan debt and give you a much lower percentage rate than what your federal loan rate was. So I think right now the student loan rate is 6.8%. Um, if you stay in like a direct loan program, you can refinance for around 4% typically, Um, that's like a very standard rate, uh, if you have good credit and at least a year's worth of high income. So I encourage you all when you first graduate, start out on your income-based repayment program, keep your loans low for your first year, get a year of salary under your belt, no matter where you work, and then start looking at loan repayment companies and doing the calculating estimates. Um, we have links below here Two really good resources are nerd wallet. They always have a roundup every year of like the best rates that are being offered as well as joinjuno.com. Um, Join Juno will look at, uh, they conglomerate types of students by region hmm. and also like by student debt category. And then they have loan companies kind of like compete to be the best option for you. So you can typically save like even 1% of interest, like lower if through the Join Juno company. So if you look at like, For example, Moella, and just go to them directly through, you know, their website, and then you do join Juno, and then Moella gets presented to you. The same company, you actually might get a lower rate by join Juno. So I encourage you guys to look at both options. Um, I did a lot of different cost comparisons. I run numbers a thousand times. I did refinance my undergraduate private loans. I had Sally Mae loans in undergrad, and I looked at um, Nerd Wallet comparison. This was before I learned about join Juno. And I refinanced my undergrad loans and got it down to like a 4% rate and paid them off really quick. Um, And I have several classmates who've done the same. And then for uh, my ex-husband, I did join Juno and I got his refinance and he went through like the same company as me and paid like even a percentage lower and was able to pay off his undergrad loans really quickly as well. So this is definitely an option if you are going to be a locums person a per diem overtime person and like public service loan forgiveness is not for you. You can always reconsolidate, refinance and get lower rates.
0: That's huge. Also, pro financial tip, don't marry a broke man. <laughs> <laughs> also that, um I also know
1: people who've
0: taken out this is really
1: interesting. If you're like married and already have a house, I know people who have taken out home equity loans and use that to pay off their their property. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah. they do do it against their property. And that's not necessarily the right choice for everyone. This is not financial advice, but sometimes you can actually get like a cheaper rate that way. So there's lots of really interesting things you can do. Also, don't forget there are military repayment programs. So we talked about joining the military like while you're in school, but I do know several people who've done like Army Reserves. That's like a very popular one. Um, But the Navy has a program as well. I think the Air Force does too. Don't quote me on that. We have the link below again. But each branch of the military has their own version of repayment programs where you can join either with the reserves or you can just join as like a regular, like full-time, like I'm in the Army now. And you can get different amounts of your student loans repaid. Um, There is actually a program where if you join the Army full-time, full-time, I believe they'll pay back all of your loans. Oh, wow. But again, you have to be willing to get deployed into an
0: active war zone. If I remember correctly, I think it's five years of repayment for three years of grad school, something like that. Don't quote me on that either. This is stuff that we want to give you resources to go look up the right path for you. Yeah, uh, it's called the Health
1: Professions Loan Repayment Program. It's so interesting, but um, I do know CRNAs who've done this as well. One thing to be aware of is that unlike the nurses I know who've joined the military for loan repayment stuff, who typically get deployed to like, places more like Hawaii or like Las Vegas, there's a really high chance that as a CRNA you'll be deployed somewhere dangerous. You're If you're being used for anesthesia purposes, like I do know CRNAs who've been deployed to Japan, for example, but I also know CRNAs who've been deployed to like really you know, scary. Active, yeah. Active, active conflict zones. Yeah. Act, yeah. Active conflict. So just know that it's not necessarily like a low risk or benign. It's not a walk
0: in the park. Yeah, it's something to consider. Yeah, there's
1: there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? You're Mm going to pay one way or another. Guys, this episode was a lot to digest. We covered so many things. So this is something you're going to want to download, save, share with your friends, come back to listen to it again. Um, Definitely put a pin in the YouTube episode. Again, all these links are down in the description below. There is so much research for you to go through. But We do want you to know that you can afford CRNA school. The return on investment is worth it. It is anxiety producing to take out those loans, but I promise you will come out ahead. So if this is what is preventing you from chasing your dreams, We just want to encourage you to go for it.
0: If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. And if you are listening on Spotify or Apple Music, if you can follow the podcast and give us a rating, it really helps us out. Make sure you join us next time on a little bit of a different pace. We're talking about giving report as a new grad nurse. So make sure you join us for that episode and forward it to the people who you are precepting for next time. See you there.